0: May be seated. Welcome everybody. Everybody online. Welcome. And may the Spirit of God. I I felt the Lord so strong here this morning. I hope you did too. Amen? Amen. 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 This morning, I titled today's message Stop and Identify Yourself. Let me repeat stop and identify yourself. Now, this is a common saying, maybe not so common, but it is common. There are laws that say stop and identify laws. There are laws the police use and there are ways and times that the police can actually ask you for identification and ask who you are. They can ask you to stop and if they suspect that you're at risk of harming yourself or harming somebody else or being harmed, they can stop you. You might even have seen this in the movies, in the military. You know, when there's a military person on guard, we see that the war is out there a lot of times. There's battles in the night. And there might be a military officer on guard and he hears someone coming and he'll say, stop, identify yourself. And at that point in time, it's a life and death situation. If you don't identify yourself, you could get killed. If you identify yourself and they know you, then you're okay. And you see, today, I think we have to stop and take a look at our church ourselves, our life, and in retrospect, take a view of where we are. Because we've been at war as a church against the enemy. And the enemy just changes tactics all the time. And we as a church need to be prepared. You need to be prepared for what the lies of the enemy are. What are today's lies? What are they trying to do to infiltrate you, your families, your children? We need to be careful and we need to be wise. And today, I'd like to talk to you about one of the things that we need to be on guard for. That we need to be prepared to deal with. And I know each and every one of you has been facing this in one way or another. So let's talk about what it means to stop and to identify yourself. Well, we, you've, you've heard a theme probably from us as we've been talking to you. And that theme is that there's a lot of pressure culturally on what the church stands for. There is. There is the... Lifestyle of sexuality, as society pushes more and more forth, sexuality outside of marriage and outside of one man and one woman, the way God had designed it and purposed it, there is a lot of pressure on churches. And this pressure starts and comes through, guess who? Each and every one of us and it might start with one person or a few people. It might start with the church not even addressing these issues and just shoving them under the, under the carpet and hoping we never talk about them. And don't get me wrong, a lot of things have come through the church and we've had to deal with them. One of them, divorce. It is something that we frown upon we realize that people do get divorced and that that happens and we must support them, but it is not something that we actually make it so easy or offer it so easy. I remember and I've said this story many times of a a woman who came to our church and when I used to do newcomers class, you know, they used to come in and you've heard this story before, before and this woman came and she sat down, and after I went through all the lessons, she asked if I would stay back. And she says, uh, "Pastor Julio, um, I just want you to know something. My husband and I are getting a divorce, and we're going to separate churches. I want to know what your church is going to do about that. Will you accept me?" And so I said, "I said, let me let me say this. Was your husband..." Christian she goes yes were you married Asked Christian she says yes do you know what the Lord says about marriage and divorce she said yes and I said D- did you divorce under the grounds that the Lord had stipulated she said no so I said to her you can come to this church we will love you and we will welcome you but one thing I will let you know I am going to let the pastoral staff and everybody that I know that's a prayer warrior in this church, pray that that divorce gets reversed and that you get back together with your husband. After six to eight months, she disappeared. She came every week. We talked, kept encouraging her. She disappeared. And then about a year later, she came back to the church. And I was surprised and she ran up to me she goes, I came back today just to tell you this. When you told me that my divorce had to be reversed, but that you would accept me, the church that my husband went to said the same thing. And they started to pray. And so some church that I don't even know the name, I didn't even ask the name, I didn't care about the name. I just, it was just a wonderful thing to know that there was another church that knew what scripture was, that wasn't rejecting that person, but was welcoming them in and loving them. And their marriage was restored and they got back together. You see, the world doesn't want us to behave this way. They don't. The world wants us to accept their values, their way of living, and their way of being. And we can't do that And so today, I'm asking you, if I asked you, identify yourself. What would you say? Each and every one of you. Just think about that for now. Identify yourself. How would you identify yourself? What's the first thoughts that come to your mind? Think about it. And maybe here in the church it might be easier in some ways, because we are here in the church. What if I asked you that on Wednesday or Thursday? How'd you respond? How would you respond? First Timothy 1:-7. Let me talk to you about the condition of the church. Certain persons, by swerving from these, and he's talking about the previous verses, but uh, we're not focusing on this. Certain persons have wandered away into vain discussion. Okay, vain discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions what Paul is referring here is to teachings coming into the church that are not godly that are not based on Christ's teachings what Christ stands for these are people without understanding and I, I teach this and, and I, I think Dino does the same thing I teach this to the youth and I say you know I hate formulas but I'm going to give you a formula okay? I, I, I think we as pastors sometimes try to oversimplify things, but I try to do this for the youth, and I say like this. I say, knowledge on its own is nothing, okay? On its own is nothing. Even knowledge about the Bible, on its own is nothing. Until you actually put it into practice and experience it, it's just knowledge. It's just words, statements. When you put it into practice, or when you're going through hard times and you depend on it and you go for it, Then something happens. That's experience. That's when you have understanding. You seek the knowledge of God in his word, in your walk, in your prayer life. And through the experiences of your faithfulness, you gain understanding. What the Bible's saying here is these are people without understanding. Either they're not understanding God's word, or they're not applying it. Whatever the reason is, they're not understanding And that's what's happening to our church in North America. There were seven big churches, big church denominations in North America a hundred years ago that were the dominant churches. And between 2000 and 2016, they are all in significant decline. All of them. All seven of them. The United Methodist Church I'm sure you've, many of you have heard what's going on over the whole issue of accepting gay ordination and accepting of the gay lifestyle. It's splitting the church. Splitting the church in half. And what's happening is they're experiencing a significant decline. And it's sad when the unity of church splits, but it's sad because somehow... This teaching, which is not new, has been around for a long time, infiltrated the church and got accepted. How could it have come to that? The United Methodist Church has declined from 2000 to 2016 by 17%. The American Baptist Church, in the same period, has declined in attendance by 19%. The Episcopal Church, 2000, 2016, decline 25%. The Evangelical, I'm stressing Evangelical, Lutheran Church in America and in Canada, 30%. United Church of Christ, 36%. The Presbyterian Church of the USA, 41%. Christ Church, Disciples of Christ. Nice name. Christ Church, Disciples of Christ. Followers of Christ, 50%. You know what they all have in common? Morals without doctrine. Doctrine. Morals without doctrine. That is what happens to a church that compromises on the Word of God. There are false teachings that are coming into our church, and we need to know how. Because the first line of defense to protecting the church is you and I in our everyday lives. If each and every one of us realize that we are the first line of defense, that it is through each and every one of us that Satan tries to infiltrate his lies. It is that way how it gets into the church. And if we are aware of that, if we maintain a posture of defense and standing strong, these things can be avoided. Because I'm telling you that all these churches have preached from the Bible. All these churches, and some of them are being evangelical based, have said you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All of these churches have said there's only one way. All of these churches have had pastors who have talked about the Bible, taught from the Bible done everything. So how is it that all these churches with pastors who are teaching the word of God, teaching the truth, are slowly deteriorating and slowly allowing this to happen? Because we can go and say, oh, well, that's because they're not preaching from the word of God anymore or something like that. It's actually far, far more subtle And guess what? The more subtle it is, the more dangerous. Because the more in the face it is, the easier it is to see. But when it's subtle, that's when it's dangerous. And that's what we have to look out for. That is why I asked you today, how would you identify yourself? How would you identify yourself? because it's in our life outside this church and what we do that things creep in and accumulate and start to attack us in order to give us an understanding of what I'm trying to get at today I want you to think about something a name think of a name any you know people's names many of you have children when they were first born? Did you just pick a name out of a hat? Or did you actually think about it? I remember that I think I bought two or three different name books back then, you know, like I didn't have the internet with all the stuff that I I needed. I actually went to the library and I wasn't happy with one book. I bought another and then I wasn't happy with all the names in there and they had hundreds. I went and bought a third. And so there's a lot of thought that goes into a name. There's a lot of thought. And sometimes we, we tend to think of, well, names, names are meaningless. But names are a powerful thing. A very powerful thing. If they weren't, why did God ask Adam to name the animals? Who named Eve? Adam. You see, when you actually ascribe a name to somebody, there are a couple of things that happen. The first thing that happens is that there's authority that comes with that. The giver of the name. The second thing is that there is a character usually attributed to that. You choose a name because of something about that person, about that character. And don't we read a lot of times in the Bible that the names of some of the biblical characters in the Bible actually have a meaning in and of itself, that talks about their life? Isn't that true? That is something that's very important. Names are very important. Titles are very important. Titles are extremely important. If you were to ask Paul who he was or who he how would he identify himself as, he'd probably have many thoughts to come into his, into his mind. And in Acts 22, I just want to take you through because it's a very interesting story here in Acts 22, verses 26 to 29. Let us read. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. Okay, so what's happening here is Paul is being right now arrested because of a commotion of all the Jews uh, where he's preaching and spreading the word of God. And they want, they want him to be punished. And so the Romans said, okay, we'll punish you. You're causing a stir and everything like that. And so here is Paul being apprehended by these Roman soldiers. And, and this is what happens. So the, so the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately and the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and they had been bound by him. When I ask you to identify yourself there is power in how you actually do that. There is because it has a reciprocal effect. Because if it's something that you declare it reinforces who you are. And who you allow to name who you are has a big impact. And it's just not your personal name. You are ascribed a name by the citizenship you have. Paul was a Roman citizen. So there are many labels many identities that we wear in life. I'm a pastor. I'm a consultant during the week. I'm a father. How do you identify yourself? How do you identify yourself? I'm going to get a children's story. And I'm going I'm to read it. You guys will probably catch it right away for some of you. Um, you probably know this very well. Some of you, you might not know it very well, but you'll understand it. How many have heard of the emperor's new clothes? Anybody? Ever hear that fable? Yeah? Okay, I see some hands. All right. I'm going to read a bit of it so that you get a, a gist for it and then I'll summarize it because otherwise it takes 12 minutes to actually read the entire story. But let, Let's get into it. There once was an emperor who loved nothing better than wearing fancy new clothes. Three times a day, he would change into a brand new royal outfit. Many emperors spend their days talking to advisors and fixing problems of the land. Not this one. He was too busy sending out his servants to find the next great outfit to wear. One day, two strangers came into town. They said they were weavers. They said the cloth they wove was the finest anyone would ever see. But in fact, they were not weavers. <laughs> they were crooks. <laughs> These fake weavers said their cloth was more beautiful than any other cloth, but it could not be seen by just anyone. Only people who were smart and the most excellent could actually see the magic cloth. People who were not smart and not excellent, well, they would see nothing at all. Soon word reached the emperor, and these two weavers and their fine cloth, he thought. I am the most smart and the most excellent emperor. Anyone can tell by how grand I always look. I do not need to worry about that silly magic. However, the emperor went to see the two weavers. These clever crooks ran about their shop, pointing and emptying corners and tables. They said with pride, look at these piles of fine cloth. Surely you have never seen, such, seen colors as bright as these, patterns as beautiful. The emperor could not understand. He couldn't see any cloth anywhere. So the emperor thought, I cannot let anyone know that I cannot see this magic cloth. Who knows what they may think of me? So instead he said, Indeed, this is the most beautiful cloth anyone has ever seen. Now I'm going to stop reading the actual story here and just do a quick to the end. So here we have this emperor. And so he asks these weavers, Can you do so I have a parade and I want to wear this beautiful clothes. And can you do it for two days from now? And they said, ah, I don't know. It's going to cost extra. I'll pay you. Okay, you've got to pay up front. So the crooks took the money. And so as they were thinking about how do they make themselves look like they're working hard, they would put candles in the window so it looks like they're working all night just to get through the night to, to weave the cloth. Well, the day of the parade comes. The emperor is ready for the clothes and the weavers come in. And everybody knows that if you can't see it, you must be stupid. Okay, If you don't get it, you're not smart. So they put the clothes on. The emperor, he puts them on. He's got his underwear underneath. And he's got these new clothes on top. And he looks at himself in the mirror, and he doesn't see anything. All he sees is underwear. <laughs> and he says, wow, these are beautiful. I really like them. These, these wonderful, beautiful clothes you've given me. So they go through the parade and as they're going through the parade, he's there walking around and he does this all the time and he's walking and everybody's looking at them and they all know that only smart people can see the the cloth. And so they're all going along with it. Wow, this is beautiful, this is great. And then one child looks, a little child looks and says, he's got no clothes on. And then everybody starts to say, yeah, you're right. And the emperor starts seeing that everybody starts to realize it. And he's, he's starting to walk. Well, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep marching. I'm going to keep marching. And at the end of the parade, where were the weavers? Gone. And they took the money. Well, this is a story I heard when I was a little kid. And probably a lot of you heard it. I, I just thought it was funny. But this story is almost a thousand years old. It was actually written, uh, the, actually first recorded in 1335, 1335 in Spain, and its believed it was hundreds of years before that. And then uh, Anderson, who wrote a lot of uh, a, a Christ, I mean so a lot of uh, children's stories, actually uh, took that story, gave it a new twist, and this is the version that we, we see today. But you see, the issues that this story actually are trying to convey are stories and principles that even today are very true. And you see, this is how a church starts to actually creep in to allowing stuff into the church. When we see something... And we know the truth, and we just sit by and stay quiet, and just pretend like everybody else that the emperor is wearing clothes, that says something. That says something. And that is so dangerous. So dangerous so dangerous and now don't get me wrong I am not saying that we should go out there and start picking up you know signs and protesting and marching and you know going in front of every abortion clinic but I am saying that you have to stand up for what we believe and is true and what is biblical each and every one of us I I know a couple a long time ago I was a young Christian and this is when I was having children and they came distraught and they were they were close to Helen and I and they came distraught and said that their doctor says there's something wrong with the baby and 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 he recommends that they abort the baby and their parents said it everybody said it and I just felt like no absolutely not it doesn't matter how that child's gonna come out It doesn't. That child is a gift of God. And no matter how that child comes out, you need to keep that child. And for months, we had this discussion, month after month. And thankfully, she decided to have that child. And we prayed and we prayed. And sometimes the childs do come out with problems. And despite all the problems, they're a blessing to the family. I've seen many children who come out with issues and they're still beautiful to God and beautiful to the family and important and they deserve to live. In this case, God wanted to show this family that there was something in His Word. And that baby came out perfect, there were no issues. I'm not saying that that happens all the time but it was meant for a purpose for this couple in this family. And today that baby is a twenty something year old man. And on the day that my dad passed away and we had his funeral he was one of the pallbearers. We need to stand up and not be silent but in a wise way. We talk about this gay culture that is going that is so prominent and don't get me wrong I was actually when I was very young my parents used to drop me off at uh, a lady's house a Portuguese lady's house and in in the family everybody knew that there was something different about her son and what was going on is her son's partner lived in the house with this lady it was a gay couple And I would be dropped off and they would babysit me until I had to go to school. And then I'd come home, I'd go to their home for lunch and then I'd go home again. And I would interact with this gay couple. And guys, I loved these guys. They were almost like parents to me. And they treated me so wonderfully. Even to this day, They are like family to me and have fond memories of my interactions with them. They are not evil people. They are not out to get us. They're people loved by God that God wants to save. But that doesn't mean that we compromise what we believe in. It doesn't. Let me give you an example. There's a guy by the name of Beckett Cook... I recommend that you would, if you get a chance, look him up. He is a Christian who had a gay lifestyle. As he was a teenager, he thought he was more feminine. So, he basically thought, oh, I must be gay. And so, he entered into gay lifestyle. And he was gay all the way up until his late 20s. And then... Jesus took a hold of him. And today, he's a Christian. And I'm going to talk a little bit about his story. He's a Christian because other Christians did not stop behaving like Christians. And he will tell you a story of one day, as a, after he was a Christian for many years, that he got invited to a gay wedding and he went and he felt awful. Now think about it. He was gay for many years of his adult life. Became a Christian. And then was asked to go to a gay wedding of someone he knew. And he felt awful. And so this this past month, I think there's an issue on the internet because Amy Grant, who's supposedly a Christian gospel singer, is hosting a gay wedding on her property of a family member. And you know what this man Beckett Cook said? He said, look, I was gay, but I went to a gay wedding and I, and I know what it's like. And I felt the spirit of the Lord telling me I shouldn't have been there. And you know what his advice is? As a former gay man, you know what he says? Don't go to their weddings. Because they're going to actually think that you are affirming their belief. This is a gay man. Spent many years. Many years. Many years. And so, it is these little compromises that start to come into the church. Come into our life. Oh, I'll go to the gay wedding. You know, I'm not... You know, I still believe in heterosexual is the best, but I'll I'll go just to support them. You can't. I mean, at work, I work with with people who are gay and lesbian. In fact, one of my one of best colleagues I have that I work with is gay. He's a great guy. I trust him. He's smart. I build stuff with him. We go to consulting projects together. He's a great guy. It's nothing wrong I'd have a coffee with him I have no problem interacting with this man in fact that's what God wants do you get it but God wants that without compromise morals without doctrine is where the danger comes in I know where I stand do you know where you stand that is what's important it is so important everyone because you know what names these days are becoming meaningless and a name a title if it doesn't have substance if it doesn't have fruit it's meaningless when you leave this church you are a representative of Logos Christian Family Church you are and that's just a small thing the big thing is you're a representative of Jesus Christ. You're his ambassador. And that is far, far more important. Wherever you go. Do you know that in North America today, if you say evangelical, do you know what that means? It used to mean something. Well, let me tell you, it means nothing. Anymore. I just, I just read off a church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Are now ordaining gay bishops. They're, they did a survey, you know, researchers wanted to identify people who were conservative, morally. And they realized, when they used to ask the question, are you evangelical? They started to realize that something funny was happening in their research. You know, like the Pew Research, they do a lot of, a lot of studies for Christians and stuff like that. They started realizing that their answers were starting to get muddied. And then they realized, maybe the term evangelical doesn't mean what it used to mean. And so they had to start asking this question, are you evangelical? And they would say, yes. And they say, do you believe that the word of God is the inerrant word from God without blame, without error, without issue from God that you should live by entirely? Somewhere along those, those lines, you know, because they make them long and make you sure that. A lot of people who identified as evangelicals said, No. You ask him, are you an evangelical Christian? Yes. But you don't believe that the Bible is from God and inerrant? No, I believe that the Bible can have errors in it. And then they they had to ask a second question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and it is only through him and what he did on the cross that you will be saved? Many said, no, I, I don't necessarily believe that. And so they found that some people said yes to the one and no to the other and no to the other and yes to this one. But they found that if you believed in those two things, that what they had used to believe was an evangelical was actually what is happening. You cannot trust a label unless there's substance behind it. You cannot trust when people tell you something unless they see what it means. If people want to see you as a Christian, there's got to be substance behind it. There's got to be substance behind it in our life without compromise. Beckett, who I was just talking to, you know how he became a Christian? Let me tell you about his his story He grew up, like I said, he was more feminine, thought he was gay, because he was more feminine. There used to be a time that when people were more feminine, that's okay. Or girls were more masculine, that's okay. We used to call them tomboys in my day. Helen, my wife, one of my wife's closest friends, was... A tomboy. She was so good at sports. She was great. Ice hockey, like, she could, and she had strong shoulders and she could go checking with most guys. Now, as she started to get older, past 18, 19, the boys started getting a little bit too strong for her. But she grew up. And by the time she was, I think, 21, we bumped into her on the street and she was wearing a dress and we were, whoa, what happened to you? And she was getting married in a couple of years. But these days, with all the confusion out there, they start to say, oh, you're a bit feminine, you're a bit masculine, maybe you're gay or lesbian. And so this is what happened to Beckett. And so what What happened? He thought that's what he was and you what became his identity? His identity became I'm a gay man because I'm feminine. He took on that identity and he lived that life. In the same way that Paul took on Roman citizenship and he lived as a Roman citizen when you take on identities you live out that identity. This is very important there are two things we're talking about here today. When you claim that you're something, it better be met with substance. So you better be careful what you claim to be. The second issue is, be careful what you call yourself. Because I tell you, there are lots of labels out there. Some people will come and say, your child must be gender dysphoric or something like that. get dysphoria. They're suffering. Some people will say, well maybe, maybe your teenager is trans. That's an identity. And so what happens in schools? Well, they start setting up clubs and communities for LGBTQ and so that becomes an identity. And as soon as you enter into that space, you are taking on those values. As soon as you accept that that is an identity that is real, you start to accept those values and what they stand for. As soon as you start to think that, well, maybe some people are born that way. That's when Satan's lies start creeping in. Let me tell you one thing. If the Bible says you are not born that way, if the Bible says that you are to live a certain way, it doesn't matter what the medical community say. And we start to let things creep in little by little. Oh, divorce is okay. You know. You know, being gender confused is okay and and maybe they need to go for an operation or maybe you're more feminine maybe you are gay and that's okay too and all of a sudden you start laying on identity after identity after identity that starts to shape you and your acceptance of it starts to shape you so Beckett went to brunch he calls it that, this was the gay church thing he called it that's what he used to call it they used to on Sunday mornings They used to go shopping and then go to brunch in his community that's what they used to do and he was sitting at brunch with one of his best friends at the time and uh, he told a story uh, his, his testimony and he says that beside them were four young people now he was young himself I think he was around 29 30 at the time but these were probably young adults and he looked over, and they had finished eating, and they all had Bibles on the table. And they were talking and reading through the Bible, and they were, he looked like they were preparing for something. He was shocked. Like, were these guys fanatics? Like, they're right beside us, and they're talking amongst themselves, and they're reading a Bible. And so he just felt weird, so he, he ignored them. He ignored them. And you might think, well, what's wrong with that, having a Bible on your desk? Well, I tell you, you go downtown Toronto... You open up a Bible, and you start reading in a coffee shop. You stay there long enough, somebody's going to come by and say something to you. They will. And I know it's happened, because when I used to pastor downtown with Pastor Bill, he would tell you, I'd be in a coffee shop. He'd love to go to the coffee shop and just open up the Bible and start reading, and and part of his preparation throughout the week. He would get into... uh, these discussions where people were just angry. How could you believe in that? Like, how could you even bring that book into this place? And so here's Beckett and four young adults with a Bible open. And they're just going about their business. They're not trying to shove what they believe down somebody's throat. They're just going about their business. And so Beckett starts to feel curious. Who's doing that? The Spirit of God. It is not our job to convict. You've heard this from me many times. Don't try and get into debates to try and convince people. The only convincing comes from the Spirit. And so all of a sudden the Spirit is touching Beckett to go and talk to these kids. So he found it weird. Like these guys are Christians; they don't want anything to do with me. So he goes over and talks to them. He starts talking to them, and they invite him to church. And he says, "Okay, thank you." And he goes home because I'm never going to go to that church. They don't—they're not going to accept me. On Sunday morning, he gets up. He goes, "I feel like going to church." <laughs> Who was that? The Spirit. He goes, "Okay, this is weird. I'm going to go to church." So he goes to church. He sits down. And the pastor was going through Romans. It was a a two-year ordeal. He was going through every chapter of Romans. And so it took him two years. And he took the whole congregation every Sunday morning. They were going through Romans. But he sat there and he said, everything that was said was so real to me. And when they asked people for prayer, I went and prayed. And there was this heterosexual man who prayed over me. And I've never felt such love from a heterosexual man. I went back and I sat down and tears started flowing from my eyes and he goes that day when I went home he says all these men I'm leaving behind and there's one man that I'm going to follow and one man only and his name is Jesus Christ. And he knew in that church what they stood for. Why? Because before he went to the church he he asked those kids. What does your your church believe about gay relationships? They didn't hide it. They just said, we believe that same-sex relationships are a sin. They stated what they believe. They didn't compromise. And they did it in a loving way, and they still invited him, and he still came. The emperor's new clothes. I am telling you. You should not be scared or worried about what people think because it is a life and death situation. You are walking ambassadors in this world and you will not be an ambassador by staying quiet or accepting things in this world that have nothing to do with Christ or his scripture. In fact, those things make you a terrible ambassador because they start to creep in and eventually I promise you something else will creep in and then something else and then something else and then you'll be in trouble without even knowing it this is how, one way that's really good for us to understand what's going on we as people have a personality we are very complex and the things that we hold true the things that we believe the things that we get involved in the things that we call ourselves have a reverse implication on who we are inside spiritually in our souls it does have an impact and you can put you can draw a piece of paper and put yourself in the middle and then draw circles my family that has a huge impact on who you are and who you identify with my church my friends, where I work, my neighbors. You keep drawing circles on that page and you start to see where all the things that you interact with in life. Every single one can be a positive or negative influence. Every single one. When we walk out there consciously understanding that every single one of those circles that you draw on the page of people that you interact with can have a positive and a negative impact on who you are. And you cannot blindly just interact with this world. Then you're no better than the people who were ignoring the emperor was naked or had his underwear on. It's like watching TV. Do you just watch TV blindly in a Something pornographic comes up, do you just let it pass? Something horrific and, and, and gory comes up, do you just let it pass? Or do you turn it off? Or if you can, even try to screen before you even watch it, whether it has that kind of stuff in it. Aren't you conscious of it? I hope you are. Because TV is another one of those circles. The music you listen to is another one of those circles. And they layer on and on and on and they influence you. Romans 12.2, you've heard me say this many times, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And yes, you can discern the will of God, people. The Bible says it. It says it here and it says it in Ephesians. And don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. That is why you have the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible declares, not me what is good and acceptable and perfect in other words there's no excuse there's no excuse in the Bible they call the state of being who you are how you behave how you live the Greek word is ethos and no it's not the water you buy at Starbucks Ethos is actually translated in the Bible many times. You'll see custom in a manner of when Jesus went to the temple as he was accustomed to, as his ethos led him, that's really what it's saying. So Jesus had an ethos. That ethos is the character of the sum of the things that you believe in and accept. If you've ever studied anything about Greek culture and storytelling, you know, Pastor Dino can probably say this better than I can, there are three things that every philosopher, storyteller, politician would tell you. There are three things you've got to worry about. One is ethos, the other one is pathos, and the other one is logos. And your ethos is shaped by what? Your Logos. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos is God. And it doesn't mean a printed word. It means far, far more than that. Logos means thought, principle, a way of thinking, logic, reason. It means all those things. So when the Bible is saying that Jesus is the Logos of God, it's saying that he is the principle, the meaning, the logic, the thought of God. What God stands for. And so if Logos shapes your ethos, then you need to make sure that the Logos you believe in the thoughts, the logic, the reasoning is what shapes your ethos. And that is how we protect ourselves from the garbage that's in this world, the lies from Satan that is trying to get into our world, is the little compromises, the subtle ones that come into our lives, and they build up little by little. And an ethos is something that takes years, decades to build. And people like Beckett, that I just talked about, they're a perfect example of what society tells you, that being gay, you're born that way. Well, guess what? He thought it, but now he's not living that way anymore. He had a lesbian come on his show and he said, you know what she said? She says, don't ever let anybody tell tell you that your, your son or daughter might be gay or lesbian. Don't ever accept that label. Don't ever accept any label. Don't accept LGBTQ. In your world, in your life with your children, they are children of God. Amen. If you are in this place, if you were online, and, you're, and, you, and you, do, you do have people who suffer from this, same-sex attraction, you are not gay. That is not your identity. You are not part of the LGBTQ community there is nothing wrong with you you haven't been born that way you are a creation of the Lord that is your identity if you suffer from anything that people in this world say well that's natural you should accept it what you need to do is you need to stand up and say no that is not who I am That is not who I am. And I know that while we're talking here today, we probably are thinking about people in our families, our neighbors, people who are trapped in this way of thinking, in this ethos of life. I know it because it's probably in everybody's mind we know somebody that's struggling in this way. They have taken on an identity that is evil, that is worldly, and has nothing to do. And what God wants is that they take on a new identity in Jesus Christ. If you have a good relationship with somebody like that and they trust you, you tell them, you're not gay, you're a creation of God if you know somebody who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and then fell and now are living a lifestyle like that you tell them you're you're a child of God and you need to come back to who you were and who you identify with and I'm just using that as an example we can use many others a drug addict you don't think that Christians who grow up can become drug addicts don't accept that label You're not a drug addict. You are a child of God. You are not an alcoholic. You are a child of God. You are not somebody who is stuck with pornography. You are a child of God. You are not a failure. You are a child of God. Do you understand where I'm coming from? When people in your family, people in your friends, every they start talking to you like that you tell them no that's not who you are stop and identify yourself that is what you're doing when you tell somebody that is not who you are because it is better what god sees than what you see or the world sees. Another example is, do you know that the suicide rate is like three or four times higher with men than it is with women? Crazy, eh? Men are losing their purpose in life. We have to protect the principles of the Logos in our life and when we let something slip when we let something creep in because people say it's okay careful another story and and I've got a lot of them because I got a lot of examples and you need to hear these examples because these are warning signs in my home my son didn't play with dolls unless it was a G.I. Joe and my wife would say that's okay no absolutely not and so I would actually purposely wrestle with my son ten times more than with my daughter you see I grew up in a culture where every male, when they reached 12, was kicked into the bull ring. Now go face your fear. And in that town where my parents grew up, where they did that to every man, every boy, all of them came up to be a man and they didn't, they had no question as to who they were. I was reading a testimony of a guy named Walt, a Christian. And he actually became gay and then transitioned to a woman and then had to transition back. Yeah. And so he's on focus on the family. I'm listening to this. You know how it all started? When he was four, one of his family members would would, uh, babysit him once in a while. And they were a seamstress. And he said, oh, that looks nice, because the four-year-old doesn't know. So, sh- so this person made a little dress for him. And so he said, oh, I feel nice. The guy's about 65, seven years old, and he goes, that was the day my confusion started. The feminists in this world will tell you that there's no difference between men and women. The Bible says otherwise. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to stand your ground? Because I tell you, there's a lot of confused guys out there. A lot of them. Men, and I'm not talking just about their gender, even their purpose. Our society is very, very sick. Yeah, we're very wealthy, but we're very, very sick. We need to start making sure that this stuff isn't getting into our homes, because if it starts to get into your homes, it'll start to get into this church. And you see, it all starts with compassion, right? There's no difference really between boys and girls. Yeah, we're 99% the same, but that 1% is huge. Huge! When the Bible says that you shouldn't dress like a woman or a woman shouldn't dress like a man, there's a reason behind it. We have to be careful. And you might be saying, well, Julio, I think you might be taking it too far. No, I'm not. I've just given you stories, and there's so many of them. Of people who suffered. Especially now with all these operations. The number of people that are coming forward. That have suffered. There's a girl named Chloe. I saw a recording of her giving her testimony to a committee in California on this issue of gender transitioning. When she was 12, she felt more interested in boy things. And so the teachers at school started going, well maybe you're trans. And they talked to the parents. You should go see this doctor and you should go see that. And so the parents went. And you know what the doctors and everybody said? If you don't, she can become suicidal. They use that card, that blame game. They do it all the time. What they don't tell you is the truth of the matter is, and these are studies that are done, these are facts, but they don't want to bring up the facts because that comes against their ethos. You will know that a lot of these activists, whether they're feminists, Gay activists, trans, when you're when you talk, talking about the facts, they don't want to hear it. They'll cancel you, as they say. The fact is that there's more suicides after transitioning than before. Double. Double. There are so many examples like this. And we just have to trust the Bible. Look, I, I'm, I'm a scientist, I took science, and I'll tell you something about science. Every year, there are scientific studies that contradict each other. There are. Some say A, and the other ones say Z. Completely contradict each other. And, you, and so, what happens is, you keep on going through these studies, this is how science works. And the more studies that more lean towards one way versus the other is what people start to believe. And it's sort of like the herd mentality in science. And then that becomes the norm. And so we become a culture where everything that science says is real and factual. Everything that the medical community says is real and factual. And I'm warning you even as parents. I was. I had to I had to go to the hospital a lot for years because of my son. And we would take him down to Sick Kids. And they did a study and they plastered it all over the place. And I was shocked that they actually admitted this. They actually admitted that 70% of first diagnoses are wrong. Sick Kids Hospital. 70% I'm not saying not to trust doctors because I use doctors a lot. (laughs) But I have to tell you that I trust the Bible first and foremost before I trust a doctor. Otherwise, they might be one day telling you, well, maybe your, your child is trans. And so here's Chloe in California talking about her situation, 12. And so they convinced the parents that she should go through transformation because she might commit suicide. So the parents were terrified and she testified she never said that. That was just something that the psychologist said was a possibility and so they used that. And So she started taking hormone blockers and for three years she was on these hormones. And after three years she realized this is is wrong. And she said, I'm a girl. And by that time, she had taken all those hormones, had her breasts removed, and and transitioned to a boy. Today, she's a young adult, and she's no longer on those hormones. She says, "The every week when she goes to urinate, there's blood." And the doctors can't figure it out why. It's probably all the steroids and everything that they were pumping in her in her body for three years. She doesn't know if she'll ever have children. And she knows for sure she'll never be able to nurse her children. It comes in as this is what's best for your child. We have to rely on what scripture says, what our Logos says, not the Logos of the world. We have to be careful, careful. And so today I'd, I'd really like to, to show you something here. Matthew sixteen fifteen to 16. This is where Jesus says to Peter, but who do you say that I am? Right? Who do you say that I am, Peter? And you might be saying, well, Peter answered correctly. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. To whose benefit was that? Yes, Peter's benefit. What was Jesus doing? He was getting Peter to call out his identity of who he was. Because by declaring that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, by believing it wholeheartedly, regardless of what people say, he is actually stating a claim in his life. And so Jesus asks us, not just once, but on an ongoing basis, who do you say that I am? If you believe that I am the Son of God, then why do you listen to those lies? If you believe that I am the Son of God, why do you stay silent? If you believe that I'm the Son of God, why do you live that way? If you believe that I'm the Son of God, why do you accept that label? There's so many things out there, you, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a warning as to how these things can creep in, not just in these subtle ways through the people that we interact with, but also the organizations we get involved with. And I see a lot of people who get head over heels over, let's say, the environment, CO2 emissions. You know, there's the, the global warming. Yeah, I'm a geographer. I've actually seen maps of global warming for the last 100,000 years. From geographers boring in to the soil and up in the Antarctic. Arctic. We have scientific studies that can measure that over time. Guess what? This isn't the hottest period. And even if, even if the scientists say that we go to the point where we're going, it still isn't the hottest period. 25,000 years ago, the earth was three times hotter on average than it is now. And there were no human beings. There were no cars. There was no burning of coal. There was none of that. So what What happened? What caused the CO2 to rise and and heat the earth? Methane gas from passing animals? Who knows? Does that mean that we shouldn't be concerned about the environment? You bet we should. Because God entrusted that to us. And we should be taking care of the environment. But I tell you, I'm more concerned about the communities in Northern Ontario that have mercury in their water and there are people dying and kids who cannot go to school and study because of that. And what do we do? We pump billions and billions of dollars into windmills. You start driving through Ontario. If we really were concerned about the environment, we'd be cleaning up those rivers and those lands so that the people in those communities would be drinking clean water. And here's what happens when you're involved in these types of, of, of groups. They start to take over your identity. Whether it's an environmental group. Or some kind of group around equal rights. I'm not saying you can't believe in those things. You can't do those things. But when they start to take over your identity of who you are. And you start to see yourself as one of them. When you wear, let's say, Greenpeace as a badge of honor. And this happens in sports too, guys. You know, like, I'm going to pick on some um, some Leaf fans here. There are some people who are Leaf fans, and they'll go to every single game, they'll wear it, they'll sleep it, they'll talk more about the Leafs than anything else. I have nothing wrong with sports. But if you're spending all your time in sports, where's the time in the Word? Where's the time with family? We talked about the seven churches that once were the dominant churches in North America. And now they're actually declining and becoming almost nothing. And how did it happen? Because little things started creeping in. Little ideas from friends. Little compromises in what we watch our ethos start to shape. We start to be somebody who we're not supposed to be, who we're not called to be. And then it's the one person, and then another, and then another, and then another. And then maybe even people in leadership start to fall into that pattern. You see, when you wear your identity, it's like putting on clothes. How you wear says something about yourself the clothes you wear, as an example. Think of it like this, it's like a snowfall. It comes slowly and softly, but it keeps coming slowly, and it layers, and before you know it, you have a foot of snow in front of you. That is how you're influenced in culture. And it hit me really hard when I was a young Christian serving God, and, and I, it, I asked God, how can there be so, such a big difference between, let's say, the PAOC Church, in, the Assemblies of God Church in Portugal versus Brazil? And when when I went to visit um, some pastors in Brazil, I used to wear a bracelet. I had to take off the bracelet. I couldn't wear a bracelet. Because I would be considered sin in that culture. And when we went to Portugal, where my parents are from, assemblies of God churches, um, my wife wasn't a- allowed to wear pants or makeup. How did those ideas get into the church? Well, they'd read the Bible. And then with something external from the church, they would create their own internal church laws. And that happens. But that's how things come into the church. Because the first thing that happened with the United Methodist Church, the first thing they said was, well, um, while we don't accept uh, same-sex relationships, we're going to affirm them in the church. And then they went from affirming them from the church to allowing them to be active members and volunteers. And then all of a sudden, the community started growing. And then, from active members and volunteers, they started allowing them to have leadership roles, lay leadership roles. And you can see where it is now: they won't allow them to be Bas- Baptist, uh, sorry, uh, the uh, bishops and pastors. And over a period of 30 years, this crept in. And it started with the idea of compassion. And so today, I am calling us to attention. I am calling us to attention. Now, I know it's 12.15. But I really, really feel that we have to wake up. We have to stop and ask ourselves, if I said "Who who you are, what is your identity how would you respond this week when you go home and I ask you what is your identity how will you respond and I got three things I wanna I wanna leave you with what you love you prioritize what you love you prioritize if you love Greenpeace more than the Word of God if you love hockey more than the word of God or the logos your priorities in the things you pick will dictate the time that you put into those activities 1 John 2.15 says do not love the world or the things in the world Right? if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, which means things that you, that you would go after, sports, those kind of things, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Are they wrong and sinful? No, but they are when you, when you put your love is with them. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of, the, of God abides forever. Number one. Where is your love and your priorities? Look at your priorities and it'll tell you where your love is. Where is your focus? Philippians, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. In verse 5 it says, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have a mind of logos, you will not be concerned about yourself. You'll be concerned more about others than yourself. If your priority is the Logos, you will read the Bible. You will pray consistently. If your focus is the Logos, then you will abide by what he taught. Three, seek God's will and wisdom. Yes, you can discern the will of God. Yes, he will reveal it to you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Where's your love and priorities? Where's your focus? And do you seek the will of God? If we do these things... And we watch and are careful not to let these things creep in. We will protect ourselves. We will protect our families. And you will be ambassadors. We will. But when I saw those stats. And there are churches in North America that are empty. There are churches in Toronto being turned into condos and shopping, shopping facilities, the churches that are growing, are the ones that are staying close to the word of God, here's the flip side, the assemblies of God has grown from 2000 to 2016. The Southern Baptist, not the Baptist, but the Southern Baptist grew from 2000 to 2008. And then they started accepting and compromising and they dipped. And so this year the Southern Baptist Conference had a meeting. And they basically solidified their moral stance around a lot of these issues because churches were compromising. They said if the churches don't want to live by these standards which are biblical, then the churches can leave. And you will ask, if the church preaches the word of God and the church preaches that Jesus is the only way, those churches are growing. And I want us to be a growing church for a long, long time. and so today I'm going to close but I'm going to close and I want us to stand this is going to be a very quiet closing before I dismiss you I want you to think of people in your families I want you to think of yourselves I want you to ask yourself have I allowed myself To accept an identity that I shouldn't have have I allowed myself to start believing things that I shouldn't have I want you to ask do I know family members are going through this type of confusion in my life do I know friends do I know people at work that are going through this neighbors cousins uncles aunts We need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. Take a moment to think about what I just asked of you. Take a moment. This is serious. This is very serious. If God puts someone on your heart, that is the person you need to pray for right now lift them up to the Lord father we just come before you as your spirit is here you know the names that are on people's hearts you know those that are struggling those that we are crying out for we know who we are we are your children and every day every hour every second we will confess that you are Lord over everything And nothing contrary to what you say or teach or stand for is real and true. And Lord, we, we confess that sometimes we let these things come into our lives in little ways. And Lord, help us to push them out. And Father, I I also know that there are many people that have names on their hearts and you know those names Lord and we lift up them to you. People who are suffering, suffering from drug addictions, alcoholism, gender identity, same sex attractions, marriage problems. We lift these people all up to you, Lord. Their struggle is not what identifies them. No matter what the world calls it and tries to say that it is normal, it might be their standard, but it is not your standard. We lift these people up to you, Lord, and we ask that the chains be broken that the lies be revealed and that the truth may be known so that these people may be transformed, become a new life, a new living being, following you, praising you, knowing you. And Lord, help us as a church to stay true, to not even let the littlest thing creep in. Lord, I'm not I don't want to be a Pharisee no that's not what I'm asking Lord I want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ help us be a light Lord in every path you take us work school home family, friends when we're at the store the grocery store Lord and help this church be the city on the hill in this community Lord we love you and we thank you and we praise your holy name